Our Father in heaven, we come in Jesus' name to ask that your Holy Spirit would do his gracious and wondrous work among us as your people, that he would indeed guide and direct us into the truth of your word, and that, Lord, through that teaching and guiding, Lord, that we, by your grace, would receive your living word into our hearts, into our lives, and to be drawn ever closer to you, and to be able to see the work that you have called us to as members of the body of Christ. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure that you have either watched or you have saw uh, through the news highlights or on the computer this last week of the Olympics in Tokyo, Japan. One of the things that is always amazing to me is what God enables a particular person to do in those fields of sports that we got to watch this past week. And in concert with that, the trophies that are given out to people from all walks of life, from all the nations that were represented there. And there is a great difference between receiving a trophy versus receiving a gift. A trophy is something that indeed is a, like the medals that are given during the Olympics, is a memorial. It's a recognition of the victory or the conquest that has occurred. I'll never forget that United States wrestler who not only received the gold for her accomplishments in wrestling, but she gave glory to God for him enabling her to do what she accomplished during the games. And these trophies or these medals are far different than the gifts that we receive uh, through many different means, whether it be during a birthday or an anniversary or some special occasion or even during Christmas time. These are just voluntarily giving. There is no working for them and there is no compensation. They are what we call presents. And indeed, all of us love to give and receive gifts. But not all of the gifts, not only given but, or received, are intended to shape and improve our lives. Sometimes these gifts we receive, well, they frankly don't fit. Or they're not our style. Or they are too juvenile or too adult in their uh, application that they don't fit the age that we are in at the present time. Sometimes, indeed, we end up returning those gifts or exchanging those gifts for something that does fit and something that is our style. When Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, like those that we've read about in the Scriptures, we need to see that Christ's gifts 
that they indeed always are the right fit. They are the exact type needed to bless each one of us and to bless others as well. They are supernatural gifts given by God. And they come in a variety of different ways. These spiritual gifts are gifts in which we are supposed to use for the glory of God and the building up of His church. One thing that each one of us here as believers can count on, and that is all believers are given a spiritual gift by God in order that we might do spiritual works for God. Let me repeat this. One thing is absolutely certain. Every true believer receives a spiritual gift from God in order to do spiritual works that bring glory and honor to God. We saw in our Old Testament reading the example of men receiving supernatural gifts and abilities in order to construct the tabernacle according to the command of the Lord. In Exodus chapter 31, 2 through 6, we read how the Lord called Bezalel and he actually filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship. And he also appointed Eliab. And in the hearts of those that were skilled, he gave and put in them skill so that they may make all that God has commanded them. You'll remember that last week, our unity as members of the church is a dynamic unity. It involves the Spirit of God. It involves the work of God's grace in each one of our lives. But within that dynamic unity, there is intended to be a diversity. A diversity of functions within the body of Christ. And it comes through these varieties of spiritual gifts that Paul alludes to here, as well as in Romans chapter 12, and also 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And they were given to us for the works that God wants to utilize in order to shape us and to enrich our lives spiritually in doing service for Christ, His church, and reaching out to the world. Paul said here in chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he pulls up this psalm, Psalm 68, verse 18, to show us that indeed Christ is our victor. And as our victor and as our king, he not only leads us in that triumph, but also gives gifts to us. When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. 
Christ is our victor. He is our king. He is the victor over sin and death and hell and Satan. And he has ascended to heaven with captives that have been set free through his redeeming work and triumph at Calvary. It's in this triumph that Christ dispenses spiritual gifts through His Spirit to His people whom He has redeemed from sin's curse and God's verdict. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 because Paul picks up this theme in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 beginning at verse 14. Paul says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death and to the other aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, our triumphant King is leading us in triumph. And he's given to us spiritual gifts so that we might enter in and do those works that God has ordained for his people to do. That's what Romans 12, verses 4 through 6, tell us about these gifts and their functions within the church. Because in Romans 12, verse 4, we read, For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. My question to you this morning is do you know what your spiritual gift or gifts are? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today and you have received that precious gift of eternal life when the Spirit indeed indwells you, He gives gifts. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? And if you do, how are you involved in those in using your spiritual gifts to do spiritual works that glorify God? Another question I wanted to ask is this. If you do not know what your spiritual gift or gifts are, don't you think it's time 
for you to discover what it is so that you can do those good works that God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them? Ephesians 2.10. One of the best ways to discover your spiritual gift is by getting involved in gospel ministries of the church, like volunteering for Sunday school as a teacher or as an assistant, in the process of a worship service, helping with the AV or the music ministry. How about getting involved in committees that God has sort of led you to think that that would be a good committee to be involved with? How about in evangelism? How about in children and youth ministries? How about in the area of small groups? The list goes on and on. All of these ministries are going on here at Lighty's Church. And if you want to discover where your spiritual gifts lie, please get involved. We really do allow you to make mistakes. You can make a mistake and that's okay. But we would love for you to find out where you fit in to this body so that you can supply what only you can supply because God has gifted you in that particular area. I tell you the truth, it's been true of me and I think we could probably... Uh, look across this crowd here and say it was true of them as well, that the ways in which we find out our spiritual gifts is by engaging in the gospel ministries of a church. As we serve the Lord, as we serve the body of Christ, as we do missionary efforts, even local ones like we just heard about today. Well, Paul goes on and he says here in verses 9 and 10, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Clearly here he's showing his his rightful place, if you will, his glorified position as the Lord and Christ and King in his exalted position. But it came at a cost. You see, Christ's ascent to heaven from earth is based on his humble descent from heaven to earth. By his incarnation, to become a man, to live a perfect life and sinless life that we could not live and then to offer himself up as the perfect sacrifice unto death, even the death of a cross, in order that he might be able to pay the full penalty for our sins and purchase a place in heaven for us. The proof is in the bodily resurrection of our Savior from the dead to be our Savior and the Lord of all things. 
Remember back in Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 23? Tells how God, through Christ, He brought it about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Chapter 1, verse 20 through 23. And seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And it's in his exalted position that we read about what he did for his church in verses 11 through 13. It says, He, Christ, the exalted Christ, gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. For what purpose? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Christ, by virtue of his divine authority, his exalted position at the Father's right hand, not only gives spiritual gifts through his Spirit, but he also gives gifted men to fulfill special spiritual roles within his church so that the members of his church might be equipped equipped spiritually to receive their um, to reach their full potential so that there might be true spiritual unity and service and growth and maturity in the body of Christ. Though all of us receive spiritual gifts, there are those men whom God gifts through Christ to serve as apostles these are the ones that are sent out. These would include the 12 disciples and Matthias and, and Paul later on who saw the Lord Jesus Christ, saw Him risen from the dead. They are the founders of the church who directly received, declared, and by inspiration wrote God's Word. Some would say these apostles fall in the line of missionaries today. And then there are the prophets. These are the men that are sent by God to the church to write, to preach, and foretell God's word to his people. And then there are the evangelists who proclaim the good news of salvation in Christ to the unbelievers in the world and equip, if you will, the members of Christ's church to be those who also share the evangel the good news of Jesus Christ with others. 
Then there are the pastors and teachers who teach, who preach God's word as they shepherd Christ's flock. Those assigned to these key positions are assigned for a particular purpose, as Paul writes. It is for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's one thing I'd like to note here which is very important. And that is, one of the things that Paul makes very clear in this passage is that all believers, all believers are called by God to be working together for Christ in the building process of this spiritual oneness, of growing in the knowledge of God and of building up one another in love and in spiritual maturity for the glory of God. He says here, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. One thing is absolutely clear in this passage and is this. There is no place for grandstanders, for bystanders, for busybodies. We are all to be joining in this work together, encouraging one another, equipping one another, building up the body of Christ, using our spiritual gifts so that Christ might be glorified. That's what Peter was getting at in 1 Peter chapter 2. Turn with me there. 1 Peter chapter 2. And let's look at verse 9. He says very clearly here, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And because Christ has given these men, these special men, these gifts, if you will, and their position within the church to equip us as members of Christ's body, Paul says, verses 14 through 16, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love. 
Paul makes it very clear that spiritual immaturity among believers is never an acceptable place for the members of Christ's church. And why is that? Because there are those that are out there in the world who will try to subvert the truth, who will try to lead us astray. And this weakness of faith and this ignorance of sound biblical doctrine makes us susceptible to being beguiled, to being charmed into something else that is false, that is, does, has no foundation on the Scriptures, but is false teaching. It is error from the instructions, even from the Scriptures themselves, being misused, even in the context of being within the church. We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But rather, we are called to speak the truth in love, to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, and to realize that as members of the body, we are to be fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. That means you. That means me. That means every member of this body. In the proper working of each individual part, this is what causes the growth of the body and the building of it itself in love. Beloved, we are to be called, and we are called, to be loving truth-tellers of God's Word, fully yielded and obedient to our Lord and our Savior, who is the head. For He has all authority to grow us up in faith, to fashion us and uphold us together in the truth, and to cause us to be spiritually supplied, to share in the growth of His body, the church. Our use of spiritual gifts in the service of Christ and His church is God's master plan of salvation in which every member is spiritually gifted and equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit to labor in concert with each other, doing it in love. For what purpose? To achieve spiritual growth that leads to maturity and fruitfulness in the kingdom of God and to the glory of God. Amen.